Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. nice way to start the day. Come on. So good that you're here. We are on a new series called Church Detox. Why would we do this, you are wondering? I, I, I am thinking, that to some extent, some, all of us have experienced some pain in the church. Maybe we've been hurt by the church. We've been discouraged. Uh, maybe we're bored. Maybe we're confused. Maybe we feel like, hey, it's not worth my time. It's hard to get up on Sunday morning. I work all week long, and I get here, and I'm not getting fed. There's all kinds of reasons why we may have a negative experience with the church. And so we're going to go through the next few weeks really looking at the church, being honest about the church. Isn't that nice? We're just going to look at it, and we're going to try to ask God to uh, strengthen us, because really, when we get discouraged, when we are hurt, when we struggle, how do we hold on to the love that we want to have for the church? How do we hang on to that? And what we're going to do beginning today is we're going to ask God to give us the vision to see the church the way that he does to understand it through his eyes and his lens and his purposes. And I believe through this exercise, we're going to experience healing, especially those of us who have been hurt. And so uh, I'll tell you a quick story. When I first went to catechism, I started at the Catholic Church when I was a kid. Uh, the first class, the nun told, me, uh, told us that God created everything. Everything you see, the trees, the birds, the everything, the, the, the earth, the water, the fish. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And she was like, nothing that, was, that is created was there before God created. It was all created by God. There was nothing, and then God created it. To which a seven-year-old mind starts asking questions. And I was thinking, wait a minute. If there was nothing but there was God, where was he standing? That's a good question, right? Well, it wasn't taken so well, and the nun looked at me and said, you of little faith, and you need to go to the back of the church and ask God for forgiveness for your lack of faith, and my questions became a problem. And see, that's how sometimes, in a very simple way, right, the church can hurt us, and that's a simple way. There's very, very painful ways in which we can experience pain in the church. And I know most of us can say and tell a story, and sadly, many of the people we love, friends, co-workers, also have their stories. And so we need healing from all of this, and that's what we're going to look at over the next week, starting today. All right, so let's get started. Why do we even have a church? It's a really good place to start, right? Why is the church in existence? And so for that, before we go into the series, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 16. This is the first place in the New Testament where you hear the church mentioned. So if you have your Bible, let's start there. Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. Oh, a quick plug. If you go with me to Israel, I will take you where this happened. 
And we will study this passage in the very place where this happened. Wouldn't that be cool? So you got to go with me. October, look it up on the website. All right, end the plug. All right, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I will tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Who builds the church? Okay, I just want to make sure you were listening. Right? Who builds the church? Jesus. Jesus builds his church. So the first thing we see, this church was built by Jesus. And, you know, this is where when people read this passage, there's all kinds of theological arguments. What was Jesus saying when he told Peter, on this rock, I will build the church? The name Peter is Petras in Greek. It means little rock. And then when Jesus says, on this rock, he uses Petros, big rock. Jesus, on this little rock, he tells Peter, I will build the big church, which you might ask, is it because of Peter and therefore we all should be like bound down to Peter? Or is it because of the confession that Peter made, you are the Messiah, the Son of God? And you know what I think? It's a little bit of both. You know why? Because yes, the confession, believing in Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior is what brings life. And the church is founded upon that. That's the foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone. But Peter, a man, a fallen man, a man that quickly was running the other direction when Jesus ran into trouble, a man that betrayed Jesus, denied Jesus, a man, a human, that's the foundation material that Jesus chooses to build his church. Now imagine that. If you were in a marketing business, any of you in marketing business here, I'm wondering, okay, if you're, if you're in the marketing business and you're creating a plan for your client and you want their product to succeed, would you want to put it in the hands of people who will mess it up? No. Jesus says, Peter, on you, a human, a broken man, I will build my church. The church is made up of people. It's not an organization, an institution, a building, a set of buildings, a campus. It's people. And it's people like you and me. Fallen. We fall short. We're selfish. We make mistakes. We hurt one another. We don't always do what God calls us to do. Oh, dear God, and he chose us to be the church. Imagine the mercy that is in this word. You, my people, you are the church. I choose you. 
And so now we know the church was built by Jesus, built with the raw material of people, men and women, way back then, all the way to today, continuing in this way. But then what is the purpose of the church? Why do we have the church? And for that, we have to go to the book of Acts, because it is after Jesus' death and resurrection that we now understand why Jesus builds the church and what is the point of the church, what is the purpose of the church. Today we're going to see three things. The purpose of the church, the power of the church, and the way of the church. So the first thing we see when we go to the book of Acts, which is now Luke telling us about this story of the church being birthed, it begins in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 3, where it says, After his suffering, this is Jesus, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected. That's what we celebrated last week on Easter. And he's showing up again and again to his disciples, proving to them that he had been raised from the dead. And it took weeks to prove that to them. It took weeks for them to capture it and believe it. And then he tells them, listen, don't go away anywhere. Go stay in Jerusalem and wait. He tells them in verse don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised. In a few days, verse 5, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now jump to verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be, say this with me, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. What is the purpose of the church? To be Jesus's witnesses. You will be my witnesses. That's your job as a church. And wait, wait for the power to come that you may do so. And so we see from that point, the people that Jesus spoke to huddling together and waiting. Now, you know, they had seen Jesus come and go. So they're thinking he's just going to show up again. And so they wait in this room, and we're told about 120 of them are waiting. And then comes that day in Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is delivered to them, and they start speaking in all kinds of languages to do what? To be witnesses. So they start to declare that Jesus rose from the dead in all sorts of languages, and people start to hear the uproar, and they start to come and listen. They think they're drunk, and Peter doesn't miss a beat. He stands up, and he starts to do what? To be a witness, and he starts to tell them about Jesus. Yes, the one you killed over there where, where you saw the spot. You know that that guy, that one, he rose from the dead. And he starts to declare, he starts to be a witness. And that very day, thousands were added. 3,000. Now listen, I don't know how many we are here. We're probably close to 120. Wouldn't it be cool? We're sitting here talking to someone like, poof, there's 3,000 of us. That's what happened. The movement of the Spirit was so powerful. People were moved to declare to be witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so much so that everyone around them started to come in and they too believe. 
That is the power of the witness that we are to do. And so the church is to be a witness to and about Jesus. And so then the next thing that happens is that we see the church behaving as a body. You see, we're told in Colossians that Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. He is the head of the body. And you know, that was uh, actually prophesied before Jesus was in the cross. In fact, Caiaphas, the high priest, when they're trying to decide, what do we do with this Jesus? Everyone's following him. He's like, better that he dies. Look what he says. He says, it's better that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to do what? To bring together, bring them together. And read it with me. To make them one. Jesus makes all of his witnesses one body. We now represent Jesus to the world. We now are proof that Jesus rose again from the dead. One body, everybody doing their part, every person, no one more important than another, all of us with one united purpose to declare, to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we're told that the disciples huddled together. They started to, in this power, they started to pray and praise the Lord. And at the end of chapter 2, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That is the purpose of the church, that we would be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And any time our circumstances, our challenges, our pain makes us lose sight of what the church is supposed to be, we have to go back and remember the church is made up of people. Of course we're going to get hurt. We get hurt at work, don't we? People hurt us at work. Sometimes our neighbors hurt us. Sometimes our governor hurts us because we're people. This is what we do. It's no different in the church. And yet we are to be one because it is the Lord who heals his church. It is in the church that we also experience healing. And so we see the next thing that happens is that in chapter 3, Peter comes to the temple And there's a man laying in front of the temple, a lame man from birth. He was disabled from birth. And Jesus comes to the man, sorry, Peter comes to the man, and in the name of Jesus, he heals the man. Everyone is astonished. How did you do that? They start questioning the apostles. Under what power did you heal this man? And, you know, this is about the moment where I can see, you know, Peter's brokenness popped up because When you do a miracle like that, a person who's been lame from birth, uh, how easy would it be to take a little credit, just a little, you know, like a little? Like I I know sometimes after I preach, some of you, when I go out there, you're like, oh, Inez, you're like amazing, you were on fire, you're so good. And you know, how easy, because I am prone to pride, would it be for me to take credit for that? It's not uncommon for people to take credit for the work that God does. And we probably, if we look, 
There are many times where we might take credit for something God has done for us. And Peter could have done that. But look what Peter does in Acts 3, verse 16, which I love because, you know, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, right? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So what is that? The name of Jesus is the power of the church because look what verse 16 in Acts says. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and now was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Peter, what does he do? He witnesses. He says, it is the name of Jesus. The power of the church is the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus, which makes me want to break out in song. You know that song? There is power in the name of Jesus. You know the song? Join me. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to break every chain. To break every chain. Now you know why I'm not part of the worship team. (laughs) But there is power in the name of Jesus. That power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is now given to people like you and I, broken people, Peter, to bring healing to the world, to heal the lame, to restore relationships, to heal marriages to pray for physical healing, emotional healing, to destroy anxiety in on someone, to bring someone to the Lord, that power, the name of Jesus, is in you and is in me. That is the power of the church. The church has power. You know, the world is really good at entertaining us. Better. The world is better at making us comfortable. And even the world sometimes gets it wrong. Have you been to Wrigley Fields? Anybody? It, is, it was built in 1914. It's known to be the smallest stadium in the U.S., and it's known as extremely uncomfortable. Seats are uncomfortable, not enough parking, not enough seats. Lots of times the view is completely obstructed by uh, beams in the way. Yet, three million people attend this stadium every year to watch the games. So listen. The church isn't about the seats. You may not like these seats. I get it. The church isn't about the worship music, the style of music, the songs, or even the worship leaders themselves. It's not about the teacher. It's not about the building, though this is quite a nice building. And we get hung up. We complain about these things, don't we? Oh, my God, that music was terrible. Or that worship leader, oh, why do they sing that song? I can't sing to it. Or whatever. We don't, we don't, it's too loud. We complain about all sorts of things about the church. But that's not the church. You see, the power of the church is Jesus. Do you come? Did you come today in expectation to experience his presence? Did you come asking for his power to work deeply and strongly in you? I believe that when we come to the church, all with all our pain and all our struggles and all our questions, we should come with expectations because when we gather together, we are the body of Christ. And where Christ is present, there is his power. That's why we gather. 
in this very imperfect place with these incredibly imperfect people. Well, you know, because it's kind of funny when you think about it, the church was started with Gentiles, Jews, men, women, people of all kinds of backgrounds, slaves and their masters, and they were suddenly put together as a family. How many of you sometimes come to church and go, Jesus, this is the community you've given me? You look around, you go, oh, I wouldn't have picked that person as my friend, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ. A new social order, a new community powered by the name of Jesus. That's the purpose of the church. That's the power of the church. And then we're told that we are to act on that. So we see the first church getting this understanding, already being persecuted. Peter gets put in jail. The apostles get put in jail. They come out of jail asking God for more boldness. And then they gather together and 2,000 people are added to their number. This church just keeps growing because the power of Jesus is at work. You know, when I ask, when we think about, oh, the churches are too big, hey, there is not a big enough church as far as God's concerned. He wants every single person in this world to know and declare his name. He cares about every person. There might be a bunch of us here right now, but listen, there's more, of, more people right now at the Irvine Spectrum shopping for tennis shoes. And God cares about them. And we need to invite them to hear the word of Jesus. And then we see the church gather together in chapter 4. Beautiful words. Verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Oh, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And read this part with me. And God's grace was powerfully at work in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. Here we see the church, the way of the church. You see, in the first century, people didn't sell their property even to make money. But here people were selling their property for the benefit of others. Joyful, generous givers, demonstrating the love of Christ unto others, powerfully at work in their lives. Because you see, the way of the church, as we are actually learning out of 1 Corinthians this morning, is not just doing programs or all the things that we tend to do and get busy with. But the way of the church is simple. It's love. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul deals with the Corinthian church not too long after what we just read in Acts. Already the church is grumbling because why? It's made out of people, right? And Paul writes to them to remind them, let me remind you what the church is supposed to be. Now, we hear this passage read quite often at a wedding. We hear this whole beautiful picture of what love is at a wedding. But Paul is writing it about the church. He says, listen, you are now one body in Christ, and each of you is part of it. I will show you the most excellent way. And in, verse thir- in chapter 13, he says these words. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It does not ease, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record or wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. 
follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Now, listen. Every time you read these descriptions of love, know this. These are not adjectives, like we might say, love is pretty. These words are all verbs. Love is patient. Love in action. Love is kind. It's actually acting in kindness. Love is not empty. These are all active words. How many of us would like to stand up this morning and say, I am really good at all of these. I get hung up on the first one. Right? The reality is, we are all broken people, and this is a huge, tall order to live up to. The church will always hurt people because people want the church to be this, and yet we are the people of the church, and we struggle to be this. The only way, the only way we can walk in the way of the church is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that can help you and I be patient. It is the Holy Spirit, the name of Jesus, that has enough power to make a selfish person into a kind person or a critical person to be compassionate or a person who's insecure to stop envying others. It is the Holy Spirit that can change us moment by moment, day by day. Because none of us are good at this, but guess who is? Jesus. And if we trust and and lean on him, he will help us be this church, a church that loves others the way God loves us. Now, you know, I've been married now almost 14 years, and June will be 14 years, and I've told you my story in the past. Some of you haven't heard it. Stick around. You'll hear more about it as I go on my preaching. I always tell something. But just a quick version. I've been married twice before. This is my third marriage. I became a believer as we got married, and I said, this is it. This is my last marriage. I'm going to live this marriage with God in the center. Everything's going to change. I've already tried the other ways. That doesn't work. I want a biblical marriage. I want to trust God to make this marriage work. I do not want to experience divorce ever again. Two years into our marriage, I don't know about you, if you're married, like your husband gets on your nerves sometimes. We got into this whole big old fight. By the way, it wasn't the first one. We had a couple. But this one was a doozer. Oh, my goodness. I was so upset. I ran upstairs. I went as far as I could inside the house from him so that I can vent. And so I went upstairs, and I locked myself in the bathroom. And I'm praying, and I'm asking God, I cannot be patient or kind. I I cannot do all those things you asked me to do. I don't know how to love this man. It's not that he's not lovable. It's that I don't know how to love the way you do. Would you help me love him? And, you know, in that moment, I had the sense that God was kind of telling me what to do. Because I asked him. And he said, you need to go and ask for forgiveness. I was like, oh, I'm Puerto Rican. (laughs) Not that one. And so I realized I asked So I decided to be obedient. And I go out of the bathroom. I told you it's the farthest way. He's downstairs on the opposite side of the house. And it felt like the Via Dolorosa. You know, I'm like walking as though I'm going to the cross. Every step was like, oh, oh. Some of you have experienced this, I think. And I get to where he's seated. He's seated on the couch 
kind of going, okay, here it comes. Here comes Ines with her, woo, it's going to come out because that's kind of how I used to roll. And so I get to where he's seated, moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I get on my knees. That took a lot. And I put my hand on his leg and I said, I'm sorry. If the church has hurt you, I'm sorry. If you've been disappointed by people in the church, I'm sorry. If you've been abused or neglected or ignored or pushed aside or shamed, or judged, I'm sorry. That is not what Jesus wants for the church. Jesus wants the church to be a witness. He gives the power to the church to do the most miraculous things. And he can empower the church to be the most loving, most loving people in the world. And we often fall short. And maybe you have, you have experienced that pain. I'm sorry. You know, when we come in together at the chapel, we want to respond to what God is saying to us. And today, in light of the pain that some of us have felt that has been brought up, and God's desire to heal that, I want us to focus on the communion because, see, the communion table is the reminder for us that Jesus was neglected, rejected, spit on, beaten. He was killed by people who were in the church. And yet he went on the, to the cross willingly for you and for me, and God raised him from the dead. And that means we can recover. It means we can be healed. And so when we come to the communion table, we are reminded that we have a merciful, loving God who does not turn a blind eye to our pain, but he wants to heal and restore us. And he wants the church to be beautiful. Jesus is the hope of the world. And she chooses to spread that hope through the church. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.